0: Amen, you may be seated. And I invite you to take your Bible and turn to the Book of Ephesians, The Book of Ephesians, and we're going to be in multiple places in the book of Ephesians as we continue our series on the church, what is the church, answering some fundamental questions about the church. And as you make your way there, I want to express my thanks again, Caleb, for leading us in worship and through song. We, we are always blessed when you're here, so thank you. Um, a couple of years ago, my wife and I went to, this was before we had children, and she was working in a dental office, and they had an office Christmas party, so we went to this really swanky restaurant, and it was one of those things where uh, there were like four items on the menu... You didn't know what any of them were, and you had to try to decipher the coded language of what it is that we might actually be consuming. And to be honest, uh, there was one item that it had a description, and I, and I got to give props to the guy who wrote the description. He nailed it because I thought, that's it. That's what I want. That was described with me in mind. The problem is it had a weird name, and I had no idea what it was. And I had this sneaking suspicion because normally when you go to restaurants, it's like a burger. What do you get when you order a burger? A burger, right? So I decided, here's what I do. You know what? I'll order it. I'll eat it. I'll see how it tastes. And then I'll find out what it is afterwards. It started to get a little uncomfortable when it came my turn to order. And I looked at the waitress and I said, I will have the veal sweetbreads. And... The look on some people's faces concerned me because they had a kind of a shock to them, and they even began to say, uh, "Do you know what that is?" And I shh, shh, don't tell me. Okay, I want to eat it first, and then we'll find out. And so I, I was just a little bit nervous, judging by their reaction. But a few minutes later, the food comes to the table. I eat it, and you know what? It was delicious. It was, it was phenomenal. I, it was one of those things that I, I was happy that I ate it. But then I did look it up. And I'll just say this. It's a good thing I waited to look it up. Because if I had known what it was before, I probably wouldn't have ordered it. And wait, let me back up. I definitely would not have ordered it if I had known beforehand. And so you might be asking, what are sweetbreads? Well, if you haven't whipped out your phone already and Googled it, Sweetbreads are made from the thymus gland or the pancreas of an animal, usually either calves or lambs. So I see some faces out there going, right, yeah, that's what I ate. It's not the weirdest thing I've ever eaten, by the way, but that's another story for another time. But perhaps you've been in a similar situation where you went somewhere, something was placed in front of you, whether it was a a drink or a plate of food, and you looked at it and your first question was, what is this? That's something that children often ask when you introduce a new dish, right? Mom, you make a new recipe, you put it on there, you put it in front of them. What is this? For whatever reason... We think answering that question makes a huge difference. And, it, and there is a sense in which that does make a huge difference. There's a difference between a thymus gland and chicken, right? If someone says, this is chicken, okay, good, we're game, let's roll, right? But there's something that we want to answer when we ask, what is it? We want to know what is its core, what, what is it fundamentally? And that changes our receptivity to it. And this morning, we want to examine that question of of what is the church? What is its identity? What is it? And there's several possible avenues that we could take. And the reality is there's no text, just one verse that we can look at that says everything that there is to say about what the church is. In fact, what we have to do is we would have to compile all the verses that refer to the church, that, that talk about the church... And we'd have to kind of squeeze them and formulate them into a cohesive, comprehensive statement about what the church is according to the Scriptures. And really, that's the task of systematic theology, right? We take all the relevant verses and we synthesize them. I don't think we can do that because, number one, uh, it would consume multiple Sundays and, and we wouldn't return to Matthew really till maybe June of next year. But the, it's also true that, as one writer puts it, I, in, in studying for this sermon, I thought this was funny. He, he has a book, and it's in a question-answer format, and then he asks the question, is it easy to give a definition of the church? And I saw that in the table of contents. I was like, yeah, that's where I need to go. He's talking about the definition of the church, and I see that, and I go, and you know what the first word of his answer was? No. <laughs> so I was like, well, Okay. So it's not easy, as we might think. But nevertheless, this morning, we want to continue our series and answer the question, what is the church? What what is its makeup? What is its essence? And and so this morning, we want to dip our toes into the water of what Scripture says. And in order to do that, we want to look at a couple verses in the book of Ephesians. And we want to sample what they say about the nature of the church. And, And my hope this morning is that God's people would leave here, that you would leave here with a greater clarity about what the church is, but then also a greater love and affection for what the church is in general, but then for Poplar Spring Baptist Church in particular. When you understand what the church is, that is what this is right now. That is what you are right now. That's what we will be tomorrow and in the years to come and then when we understand this, I think we have a greater appreciation, a love and affection for our church. And so what is the church? Well, the first definition I want to suggest to you this morning is this. The church is a visible communion of redeemed sinners devoted to Christ and to one another. Let me say that again. The church is a visible communion of redeemed sinners devoted to Christ and to one another. Now, let's unpack this definition a little bit. When we, when we talk about the church being a visible communion, we see this in multiple places in Scripture. And when we look in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 1, notice what Paul says. He's writing to a church. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to whom? To the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. So these are saints. These are redeemed sinners. But it's a communion, a visible communion of the church at Ephesus. Right? There is a sense in which it is this particular group. It is this communion. When the Paul's letter is being read in Ephesus, people know who's being referred to and who isn't. They're not sitting around questioning, does that refer to that guy way over there? Well, has he ever been in our church? No, well then probably not. They they know it's a, they know who's in and they know who's out. Each and you, so you might have a note in your Bible, right? After that phrase that says the the words at Ephesus are missing in some manuscripts. And that's fine, that's not really even something we need to talk about. But it doesn't really matter because every one of Paul's letters does the same thing in the opening. To the saints in Philippi, to the saints in the church in Galatia. So it, there is a visible communion. There are, there are boundaries around who is in and who is out. And we see this in the early church in Acts chapter 2. In verse 42, if you go there and you look, it says that the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. The fellowship. Now, We have to be very clear about what's being said here. It's not a fellowship. It's not just this group that nobody can really define. It's the fellowship. If I say there is a box, you don't know which box I'm talking about. But if I say go to the box, I'm talking about that one, that group. There are barriers. There's a a fence in which the fellowship belongs. And so they devoted themselves to a clearly defined group. That's what the church is, a visible communion where we come together and we join. And as members of a church, we say, we are a church together. And we draw this barrier, this line to say, we are distinct from other churches. We're a part of the the larger church, the global church, the, the church throughout history. But also as members, we are in or we're out. And if we're in, we are a visible communion of redeemed sinners. But here's something else I want to point out about that verse in Acts. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. It's not, the verb carries over through the whole thing. It's not that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and then when it came to the fellowship, it was just, whatever. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and implied, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. And this word devote means to have a close, continual form of fellowship. It's a commitment. It is a promise. It is a a joining together that is more than just attendance or, uh, you know, just kind of haphazard relation or connection. It is a close and continuous fellowship. So there was a commitment to the Lord, the apostles' teachings. But then there was a commitment to each other. They met regularly. They saw each other face to face regularly. They communed, they fellowshiped together. They were committed and devoted to Christ and to one another. How many of you remember Barney the dinosaur? Is he even still on? I don't, maybe he is, I don't know. But I remember growing up, Barney the dinosaur was huge, right? Do you remember Barney's song? <laughs> oh yeah, you know, don't act like you don't know. You know, you, you know you liked it, right? What did Barney say? Remember his song? I love you, you love me, we're a happy family. All right, let's stop there. All right. what, what, the, what acts too in, in this idea of being a communion, if we wanted to change the song a little bit, about this fellowship, about being together regularly, fellowshipping together, we could sing it this way: "I see you, you see me, we're a happy family, and we're saying the same thing." It is. It is. The church is an in presence being. We we are to to be together face to face, and that's how. We show our love. It was visible not just to others, but it was visible to each other. So I see you. You see me. We see each other as the church. And so let me put it this way. Do you want to know a way that you can show love to every brother and sister in Christ in your church? Show up. Show up. That, that is a, that is, think about it. What happens when you get invited to a wedding, right? Yeah, sure, you bring gifts. Yeah, you, you know, there's, there's other things. But really, what, what are you doing? You're showing up. That's an act of love. When you go visit somebody in the hospital, what are you doing? You're showing up. That's an act of love. The church as a visible communion means that we are here. They see you. You see them. And they were devoted in such a way that Paul says that he could say to the saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, and everybody knows who they're talking about. So the church is a visible communion of redeemed sinners devoted to Christ and one another. Uh, In the Apostles' Creed, one of the earliest summaries of the Christian faith, it says, I believe in the holy Catholic church, Catholic little C, not big C, little C, the, the, the Catholic Church, and the communion of saints. This is something that is core to the Christian faith, that we believe that we ought to commune together, that we ought to be together. This is true of the worldwide church, but it's true of each local church. The church at large, throughout history and time and across the globe, is a communion of redeemed sinners, a visible. But there is also the sense in a local church that we are a visible communion of redeemed sinners. And, and that's why we want to make sure that when we talk about who our members are, that, that they're believers, that they're not people that are just on the rolls, that they're not just people who have been here once uh, or, you know, got, got baptized here and have moved away 20 years ago and have not been back since. It's a visible communion, something that we are to be able to see. So they're devoted to Christ. There's this communion. There's this fellowship. There's this church here in Ephesus. And Paul teases this out and says that really they're devoted to one another because of their devotion to Christ. He starts with Christ, right? That's that's the structure of the whole letter. We see the whole book bears this out. The first three chapters are essentially the gospel explained. And then the last three chapters are its application to us. We read about it in verses 1 through 14 about God's sovereign work in salvation, how he creates the church through the blood of Jesus Christ, this, this work of God. and this, this visible communion of redeemed sinners starts by being devoted to Christ. So I want you to think of a triangle, okay? Christ is at the top of this triangle, and we are redeemed to him, but that also, that triangle comes down, it means that we are also connected to each other. Right, And so it starts with Christ. We're devoted to Christ because he saved us. He paid the price for our sins. He died on the cross. He redeemed us. He bought us back by shedding his blood. But Christ was crucified in the place of all his people. And it's those same people that make up the church. So when we talk about a visible communion of redeemed sinners, we're talking about a physical gathering of of people who have been redeemed by Christ. We come primarily because of Him. That's not to say you can't like the people who are in the room. That's a good thing. I hope you do. But but we're all here. Each one of us are here because of Christ. And because we're all here because of Christ and we're devoted to Him, we're also here with other people. And so I think it's important for us to remember that, that when we're dealing with other Christians, we talk about being a communion of redeemed sinners. We all would would relish and delight if we're believers in in Christ in my place, right? But when we look at the visible communion of redeemed sinners, it's not just Christ in my place, it's Christ in their place too. They are just as much blood-bought, redeemed sinners as you are. And so we're not devoted to one another because we have to be. It's not that, well, this is the only really church we like and driving distance. And so we just kind of put up with each other. It's not that, that this is the one that we like, the building or whatever. We're here because we've all been reconciled to Christ and then therefore reconciled to each other. And so when we look at another believer and a member of our church, we're looking at someone who, who Christ loved and bled and died for. So every other saint, when we talk about this communion of redeemed sinners, every other saint that is a member of our church, understand this, that is someone that Christ loved just as much as he loves you. And so it's a visible communion of redeemed sinners devoted to Christ and to one another. And as we move through, on, through Ephesians, we see that, that really Paul is driving this home because he's driving this idea of unity and this idea of a body. And this is the second definition we might want to keep in mind. It's kind of a sub-definition, but, but I think when we look at Ephesians, we see that as a visible communion of redeemed sinners, that Christ is the head and the church is his body. Christ is the head and the church is his body body. And Paul bears this out in the structure because remember in verses 3 through 14, it's all about what God has done for our salvation. Then we get to verses 15 and 19, and and Paul mentions his prayers for the saints. And one of the prayers is that in verse 19, they would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards those who believe. Do you see that in verse 19? Okay. Now, in, in verse nine, it continues. Nineteen, it says he exercised this power in raising Christ from the dead and seating him at the Father's right hand in the heavens. Okay, so he wants us to know this power. He's exercised this power in Christ by raising from him from the dead. Then go down to verse twenty-two. It says, and he subjected everything under his feet. Whose feet? Christ's feet. So he subjects everything under him. And, look at what Paul says, appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body. There it is. The church is the body of Christ. Notice how Paul says it. He says, the church, comma, which is his body. The church is the physical presence of Christ on earth. We, we represent him and we are him we are his body so let that sink in for a moment that we are his body and he is the head so let, let, let's separate those for a moment that Christ is the head of the body okay if you go over to Ephesians chapter 4 Paul repeats this and we we read this this morning he repeats it in 415 where he says, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow into every way into him who is the head. Who? Christ. He's the head of the body. In chapter 5, verse 23, he says it again. He says, Because wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. You can't get away from this picture that the church is the body and Christ is the head. You don't have to turn there, but in Colossians 1.18, Paul says that Christ is the head of the body, the church. So, so Christ is the head. What does that mean? I want to point something out here that Paul says, and he says that Christ is the head of the church over everything for the church, in verse 22, chapter 1, verse 22. And, and when, I, when you read this, you might think of it, think of the difference between breadth and height, okay? When you read that Jesus is over everything for the church, you might think breadth, right? That every single thing that happens in the church, from A to Z, Jesus is head over, right? He is head over everything. That's not necessarily wrong, but Paul's emphasis is not on the breadth, but on the height. Paul uses a very particular construction in in the Greek that emphasizes his, his highness, his exaltedness, his aboveness, his, his uh, incomparable uh, elevation above everything else. And doesn't that fit the context of chapter 1? It says that he raised him from the dead and he exalted him at the right hands of the heaven, of the heaven far above every ruler and every authority and power and dominion and every title given, so the context is that Jesus is exalted and high above every other living thing, every other power, every other dominion. And that's also true in the church. So yes, it's breadth, but that breadth finds its connection point to Christ and how exalted he is. He is so exalted and so, so far above anybody else in this church that because he is, he has this authority over The breadth of what happens in the church so what is the the emphasis here that Paul's making it's not so much the breadth but but that Christ is the exalted supreme head above beyond everything and everyone else he is the head of the body and we are his body and so in other words as the head he's the pardon the pun head honcho He is the one. There's no one above him. He is so far above anyone else who would be the leader or uh, uh, authority in a church. But look at verse 23. It says, we are his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. What, What in the world does this mean? The overall sense that Paul's making here is that because we are the body connected to the head, the church is filled by Christ and is thus the fullness of Christ. So as the fullness of Christ, as the body of Christ, we are filled with Christ. And he is the head of a spirit-filled church. And in doing so, Christ is engaging in a ministry to fill all things in heaven and on earth. So notice the connection here. Because we are the body and we're connected to the head, who is the fullness of all things, his fullness now fills us as the body. And Christ uses us as a church, as his body, to spread his fullness throughout the world. That's why we're even connected to the head. When I was growing up in in, in high school, I I rode BMX bikes. I don't know if you know a lot about BMX bikes, but like street BMX, not like in the dirt. But one of the first things you learn is that for any trick that you're going to do, if you're going to turn, you have to lead with your head. So if you're going to do a 360, you can't do it with your arms or your shoulders and your head stay like this, right? When you do a 360, the first thing that tilts is your head. And look what happens. Where do your shoulders go? Your whole body follows... Your head. And that's the whole point. And so if Christ is the head, we are the body, and he is the fullness, and he fills us in order to fill the world with with his message and with his blessings. Notice, almost none of this has anything to do with you. Let me put it another way. Church, in the most foundational, basic, deep, and profound way is not about you. Amen. You are not at the center of God's plan for the church. I am not the head of this church. Christ is. And the quickest way for a church... To get detoured is for to is for it to lose sight of Him who is the head, who is our leader, our sovereign King, and the rightful director of all things that happen in this church. I'll just let you in on a little secret because I've seen it over and over again. The quickest way to ruin church for yourself is to make it about yourself. Uh, you may not believe me, but I promise you, it's true the moment that we start making it about our preferences, our desires, what we like, what we prefer, instead of it being about what does Jesus want us to do, the minute we make that switch, we're never satisfied and we'll never be content. But think about this. To put yourself at the center of what happens here, instead of Christ being the head and Christ being the center's and the center, brothers and sisters, that's idolatry and of a very serious way. But Christ is the head of the church, and all power for the, the institution, the government of the church, are what we do and how we do it and why we do it. Jesus is at the center. But we've talked about Christ as the head, but I want to focus very quickly on Christ. being his body being his body look at chapter 2 verse 16 it says that God did this work on the cross Jesus did this work and he did this so that he might reconcile both that is Jews and Gentiles all to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death you see that And in the following verses, Paul says, we are members of one household, verse 19. He says, we are built into one dwelling for the Spirit, verse 22. He says in chapter 4, verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, one hope, verse 5, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Skip down to verse 11. Paul says, God gifted the church with apostles, prophets, evangelists, Pastors and teachers, why? Verse 12, equipping the saints, plural, for the work of the ministry to do what? To build up the body, singular, of Christ. Now notice Paul connects this to Christ's headship. He says in verse 15, immediately after that, Let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ." So you see this beautiful picture that that God has so established the church that he redeems sinners. He brings them into fellowship and then he equips them. They are brought into one body. There's one body, one faith, one spirit, one hope, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And then he gives people to equip the saints to do what? To build up that one body into Christ who is the head. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12. He says this, verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. So the church is one body with many members, and Christ is the head. Paul says that the body is not one part, but many And Paul uses the example in 1 Corinthians 12 that some are eyes, some are hands, some are feet. And a body can't function well if if it's all eyes, if it's all feet. And the whole point is Paul's talking about there is a unity in the diversity, that there are different gifts and different people and different callings and different abilities. And all of that can be used for the upbuilding of the body. He says in chapter 12, verse 18... 1 Corinthians, God has arranged each one of the parts of the body, listen to this, just as He wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? So, Paul's point is there's no lesser members, there's no greater members. And why is that true? Because we are redeemed sinners. We are all here by the mercy of God. And so, all the parts are indispensable. In other words, let me put it this way. All of us need all of you. All of us need all of you. When you are here, when you show up, when you serve, you bless us. You help us grow. You help us knit together as one body. All of that talk that Paul says That happens in the church. That's what you bring when you come. And I think this brings to the the forefront of our, our thoughts. The great tragedy. Of couch Christianity. Of sideline Christianity. Paul says no member of the body is dispensable. Or unnecessary or unneeded or irrelevant. There's no place for pride or arrogance. No member is better. There's also no place for members of the body to willingly choose inactivity. We, we have needs. Every church has needs. But we have needs in our body. Opportunities to serve. New ministries that could be built and could flourish. But we need the body. We need the whole body, not just the hands doing it, not just the feet doing it, the whole body. And you might say, Well, I know so and so used to do that, and I could never do that as well as they could do it. Well, guess what? Maybe they were a foot and you're a hand, and feet and hands don't work the same way. I was watching college football the other day, yesterday actually, and well, first of all, can we just say, I'm glad college football's back. But also, as I was watching the game, I was watching the Alabama-Texas game, if you know about that game and what a roller coaster it was, and you know what, I never, I never, got, I, I never got the sense that any of those guys were being dragged onto the field to play. I I, I don't see Coach Saban going, all right, guys, who's going to volunteer to fill this position? Is anybody willing? We've been asking for volunteers for three weeks now. Is anybody going to step up? Is anybody going to be willing? Who's going to be my guy? Who's going to take the reins? Who's going to... Do you think Nick Saban has to do that? I don't think any of these guys were running onto the field against their will or out of guilt or thinking, well, you know, Nobody else will. I will. And, and I had the thought. I went back to high school. And I remember uh, I didn't play football in high school. I played soccer. So whatever. But I remember that, that you know what I hated? I hated being subbed, right? If any of you guys play sports, nobody wants to be subbed. If you're there because you love the sport and you enjoy playing I remember times in high school, I pretended not to hear the coach. (laughs) Huh? What? Me? Huh? Corn? Did you say corn? Sorry. Right? But you know what my coach never had to do? He never had a hard time getting me on the field. He always had a hard time getting me to leave the field. I want to say this with as much love. Please don't hear. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm just trying to be honest and transparent. Okay. It pains me. That it is so difficult. If players want to play. It pains me that it's difficult to get members to want to member. Do you follow me? If we are the body, we all need each other. I need you. Not to fill a slot, but there are gifts and and, and opportunities and, and, and blessings and, and works that, that aren't being done. And this isn't just, and I'm not just talking about popular. This is true and it's been true of of every church I've been in. It's true in a lot of churches but it doesn't make it okay. But the feet need the hands. The hands need the feet. We all need to, to step up and serve no matter how small because we are one body. If a hand refuses to be a hand or simply says I'm not going to be a hand, it's like we're walking around with one hand tied behind our back. Or, more accurately, amputated. It, it's, we have hands that, that choose to stay in, in, in the pockets of, of comfort and convenience. We have feet that want to walk in the way of apathy and, and having a minimal commitment. We have eyes in the body that are distracted by, by recreation and relaxation. We have ears that want to listen more to the world than they want to listen to the word. And I'll just confess, I don't know what the solution is. I don't don't have a silver bullet. There's no just make this tiny change and everything falls into place. I think part of it's the Spirit of God. Only He can pull the hands out of the pockets. But if we are a visible communion, a body and Christ is the head and if we're devoted to him and because we're devoted to him devoted to each other if we want to serve him we'll seek to serve each other we are a body with many members and so what is the church at the very least we've said this morning it is a visible communion of redeemed sinners devoted to Christ and to one another I asked this morning, and I said my hope and prayer this morning was that we would leave here with a greater love and a greater appreciation and affection for the church in general, and for Poplar Spring in particular, and hopefully we've achieved some of this clarity about what the church is, but, but what about our love and affection for Poplar Spring? And as I thought about it, what's, what's one question that we could ask to drive this home that that we really get what's happening here, that we are a a communion of redeemed sinners devoted to one another and to Christ. And I think a good way to, to gauge where we are is to answer this question. Is the church beautiful to you? Is what's happening right now in this room with these people beautiful to you? I was standing right here and it was so wonderful to hear people who are trusting Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins sing about amazing grace. Lord, I need you. That was beautiful. Is it beautiful who we are right now? Here's the thing. (laughs) Just sit, okay? Don't do anything. Just sit, right? Okay. This right here is beautiful. It's amazing. It is glorious. We're not doing anything. We are just simply here, and you're here as a member you're here as a believer. This right here is beautiful, not because of we're doing We have a, a great band, or we're singing, we're doing all these great songs. The preaching's phenomenal. No, no, no. It just is. Not does it is beautiful, right here. I look across the room and I see different ages, different backgrounds, different places of birth different interests, different stages of life, and all these things. We have people who, who, who span the economic spectrum, people who, who are, are seasoned believers and new believers, younger believers. It's a beautiful thing when we realize that what is taking place right here is a visible communion of redeemed sinners who are devoted to Christ and to one another. It should make us appreciative for all that Christ has done for us, that though we were sinners, Christ died for us to reconcile us to God and to each other. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word and, and the reminder that the church is a body, the church is an, an organism. It is a, uh, something that you created something that we enjoy, something that we that we are. Church is not just something we do. It's something that we are. And as believers and as members of Poplar Spring, we are a part of a visible communion. This communion that that you have established, that you established over 200 years ago that has seen So much happened in the world around it, and yet it's still here, still preaching the scriptures, still sharing Jesus, still discipling children and adults, men and women. And Lord, when we we let that picture sink in that we are a visible communion of redeemed sinners, that's a beautiful thing. And it's beautiful because you did it. God, help us to see the beauty in in our church, our beauty in each other, our beauty in the people that make up Poplar Spring Baptist Church. Let us be grateful. Let us be thankful Lord, for this visible communion. Lord, for every member that's here. As we covenant together, what we need to realize is that every other believer that's a member of Poplar Spring has been given to us for our growth, for our edification, for our encouragement. And we likewise have been brought here for all of them. Lord, it's your body you're the head. Help us to follow you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.